KCL or live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie. Good morning and welcome along to Casey Live. Apologies, Ashton, interrupting the end of that news bulletin. Uh, the excitement of a Monday morning. You can free phone us, however, on 1800-90-96-96. Text and WhatsApp lines are open. As always, sponsored by Dinners Ready, 83 306 96. And Ethan Quirk is producing this morning and ready to answer your emails. KCLR Live at KCLR96FM.com. Yes, and we love your news. Love to know what you got up to over the weekend. Actually, Brian, what did you get up to over the weekend? A, a busy weekend. Enjoyed watching um, the Dublin drought finish as the Dublin ladies followed in the footsteps of the men picking up the All Ireland. And I learned of the joys of uh, sugar soap, cleaning window frames. It's fantastic. Actually, sugar soap gets great reviews but is it worth the hype tell me <laughs> I don't know whether it's worth the hype but it did the job and earned me enough brownie points for working over the weekend it means I'll be able to sit back relax and enjoy watching Manchester United kick off their Premier League season this evening we've got great show lined up we've a competition coming up for Heritage Week haven't we we certainly do it is Heritage Week we're going to hear more about that shortly but to celebrate all this week we'll be asking you to identify local heritage sites we've got two 100 euro one for all vouchers to give away to lucky listeners this morning all you have to do is have a listen to our clue each hour and tell us the name of the heritage site that Ethna is describing. We'll have one site from Carlo and one from Kilkenny and we'll be picking a winner from each county every morning this week. So here it is. Have a listen. I date back to prehistoric times. My capstone weighs over 100 tonnes, making it the largest of its kind in Europe. What am I? Yes, if you can identify what Edna is talking about, 083 306 9696, get those texts or WhatsApps in, and that 100 euro all for one voucher could be yours. What would you spend it on if you got your hands on it, Una? 100 euro. I have to think about that. As you know, I don't spend mindlessly, so I'd have a good long think about what I yeah, need. Sounds, sounds quite boring, really, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. Um, but nevertheless, you can get your hands on that 100 euro voucher and spend it on whatever you like. 083 306 9696, and that voucher will be yours. We're kicking off the show this morning by talking to Oshin Keane. He's a group leader with the 5th Carlo Town Scouts to look back at the World Scout Jamboree in South Korea and indeed to encourage people to get involved in scouting and volunteering. Oshin, you're very welcome along to the show this morning. Hi Brian, how are you? Great to have you here. Um, first of all, coming in to talk about um, South Korea, it's scouting motto, be prepared. Do you think uh, the Koreans were prepared for 44,000 people all in one spot for a week or 10 days? Well, they did their best, didn't they? Because they made, they did make uh, accurate decisions and made calls very quickly and made uh, actions and put actions in place. They listened to what said. So at the end of the day, from the reports we're hearing of from the Irish contingents, is they had a good time and they fought through the difficulties and they stayed on till the end. And there is an Irish contingent out there. I mean, there's not a huge amount of young scouts. It's more scout leaders that are out there helping, well, there's, isn't it? I think it's uh, 144 scouts and then leaders. Then there's, I think it's over 200, I think it is, mm. at the top of my head. And basically the leaders then are, it's from all of Ireland, so they gathered them all together and basically they come together before the group and then they go out 
as uh, uh, against from all it's like a football team right they come so all the, together the best scouts from all over Ireland yeah. came together and of course, and look they come for the great experience and, and that's that is definitely what they is experience. it the first time that the Jamboree has been in Asia Has I mean it's a massively long trip to go on isn't you it you see it's all part of the World Scout uh, organization so it, it's held every four years and basically so it's the first one since COVID mm basically kicked in so big interest in there but I'd also like to point out that next year for example the scouts uh, there's an international camp in Essex in the UK where our scout group are going to be going over so they're going to experience the experience of an international and camp. they probably won't have to worry about typhoons in, in, in exactly. the UK first that'll make it a little bit better to, uh, easier to handle but listen I mean you're involved in the 5th Carlow Town Scouts group I mean tell me about your own experience as a leader and, and what made you get involved in scouts and maybe more importantly what made you stay involved well it has to be just uh, personally for getting you get so much out of it especially seeing some as a, a leader so many the youth members achieving some personal goals like for example I'm involved with the Beaver Scouts and having a six year old come away with a group of uh, beavers between six and nine is a huge experience for an overnight with yeah. these people that's what gets out for me but for on my part Years ago, I was involved in as a scout in Rohini in Dublin, and that's where I did all that thing and spent years there. And I moved to Carlo there a long time ago, and I was refound and regenerated. So I started off in the scout section, uh, and then I opened up uh, a second beaver section. Mm. And I loved love the beavers to bits. But so how many how many children and, and indeed I suppose young adults would you have involved up in the fifth Carlow Town Scouts as, well, as, first, as a group first across of all, all we're the, the only since COVID we're the only scout group in Carlow Town. There used to be a second uh, group, but there they've disappeared. And now so it's we're so we have a big catchment area. So we have over a hundred uh, youth members in the in in the group. Uh, and we've about 26, 27 leaders. So it's quite, uh, we've two beaver sections, one cub section, one scout section, one venture section, one rover section. So we've everything covered. Yeah, yeah. Must be a, a huge amount of volunteers involved. That, well, there is, because you have to remember there's the committee then and you have all the leaders and each leader then would be involved in a particular section that they work with and that can vary from a team of three four up to six but as with young people it's 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 very very hard to get young uh, leaders involved but there's plenty of training out there but especially for the younger for the younger uh people the, a lot of uh a lot of help is needed with these six-year-olds, so uh, like you're talking about obviously one of the biggest scout groups in Carlo, and you know the, the amount of work that the volunteers do. Um, what do you think volunteers get out of being involved as volunteers? It's it's it's, it's all for the it's all for the scouts and the kids, and to see their enjoyment and their excitement, and we're teaching them all new skills, and they are all learning new skills. One big thing is a key thing that a lot of people don't realize is teamwork is a big thing and that can have in my own experience that can have a great effect onto you when you're especially the scouts and they're looking to get into into employment and get jobs and if you have scouts on your cv and they can see an employer can see that great teamwork 
so it's it's there's a lot of skills and we're not teaching them we're not teaching them for um like they do in school it's all done indirectly and they're they're so good Una I mean maybe you and I should have went to the scouts teamwork uh, have you ever been involved in the scouts I have not but I was interested Oshin in asking you what are the skills so for me someone that doesn't know a thing about scouts to be perfectly honest hands up I always think the knot that scout knot is something we talk about what are the other skills that are essential life skills that you teach to young scouts well obviously the big part of the scouting is outdoors Okay, camping is a big, big thing involved in scouting. And if you're going away camping, obviously, the young, if we take the scout group, which would be the 50, uh, 12 to 15 year olds, so they would go away and they're in a patrol system of six, eight people. So you have a patrol leader and an assistant patrol leader. And basically, they would then have to cook. So they, they learn cooking skills and then they activities. They have to be a leader. There has to be followed by a system and they're all looking up to to the leaders as well. So it's all about learning from one another. And do you find or have you found over the years that natural leaders will emerge from the body of young people or or how does it work? We we hope that. But uh, what happens is we strongly encourage, I strongly encourage people especially in the younger ages the beaver ages they get involved with for because their child has come joined the beavers and we would encourage them to come on board but once once there is a full training scheme involved so you can come come and providing you go through the we go through all the necessary application procedures there's a full training scheme and the, the scheme of training program organized with scouting ireland is excellent mm. and it is designed for somebody that's coming in to scouting blind and um, Oshin, you know we talked about volunteers if, if i if i was considering getting involved as a volunteer what would be the starting point how do i go about making that first step well, to get it's involved? very very simple then you would make contact with uh, uh we have a very strong scouting group here in carlo kilkenny that's our our county and it's led by our county commissioner kevin murphy who's actually over in Korea at the moment. But uh, from that... How's so Kevin it, getting on in Korea? Has he got much of a suntan, do you think, since he's been well, out we'll there? We'll find out soon. We'll <laughs> find out soon. But um, if somebody, I, if somebody's out there in the Carlocal Kenny area that would love to get involved, I strongly um, recommend most of the sites. Most You can find a location on scouts.ie, which is the National Scouts website and you could find some contacts for local people uh, myself in Carlo we have our own website uh, fifthcarlottownscoutgroup.ie and through there you can contact us but the first contact would be with the group leader and the group leader will uh, go through the procedures and then once we get through the uh, necessary uh, procedures and obviously guard vetting has to be included and all that then they in, engage on their training program, yeah. which which can take a little bit of time. And just finally, going back to uh, South Korea, when are we expecting all of the Irish contingent, both the volunteers and the scouts themselves, to arrive home? They're they're they have now they 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 the, the site was uh, evacuated last week due to a typhoon, so they are now currently in in Seoul in whatever arrangements they were before. Yeah. So 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 they're not coming back to Ireland. Uh, until the weekend 
So they still have a bit of experience. Actually, another thing that I'm wondering is, Brian was speaking to somebody last week about post-COVID, how we all want to get back out into nature. Young people don't tend to love that because the draw of the phone is so big. And I wonder how does that affect scouting if you're on a weekend away? Is that a battle? That oh, you no, not absolutely, because the, um, obviously the younger groups wouldn't be an issue. But the likes of scouts and um, phones are, are not encouraged put them away are they not yeah, encouraged or are they banned well you know <laughs> I can't because I'm not a scout leader so, so, so I don't know what, what the, the rules are but generally if a child a scout is going away camping they're going away for the experience yeah. and they're going away to uh, work with the with one another learn have a bit of fun so the phone is put aside yeah, phone is put aside. Enjoy nature in all its glory. And if you are interested in getting involved and helping out with volunteers, get in contact with uh, the 5th Carlos Group, Ushin Keane. Thank you very much for joining us this morning um, as part of our chats. Uh, good to hear everybody in South Korea is doing well. And uh, Una, not not a scout, not a girl guide in your day now? Well, you won't be surprised because I wasn't Olive at the start of the show, was it, Brian? <laughs> the Olive was not my motto, but no, I wasn't. And actually, when I was younger, when I was younger, all those years ago, scouts were boys and the brownies I think was was the female contingent okay. so that in itself is a very welcome change that it's one group for, for everybody but no I was not is it too late? Uh, I don't know is it too late well certainly not too late to get involved as a volunteer that is for sure if you don't want to get involved do give it a consideration 17 minutes past 10 o'clock uh, coming up over the next few minutes uh, Una will be talking to Paul Curran Carlo Fire Services Officer about Heritage Week and all things heritage and we'll give you a listen for the first time this week to the VWID sound. Una, were you any good at guessing the ID sound last week when I was off? You know full well that I was horrific at guessing it <laughs> and I always thought it was something completely different. I've realised, Brian, that my ear is not quite as sharp as it could be. Yeah, well listen, I hope your ear is sharp enough to enjoy this piece of music. Bit of Irish music kicking off your morning, 17 minutes past 10 o'clock. It's Niall Horan with On The Loose. Niall Horan with On The Loose 20 past 10 this Monday morning I have to say Niall Horan sounds different song to song I think Isn't that a scale though? Oh absolutely It's a great one but I wouldn't have said if you gave me no detail on that I would not have said that was Niall Horan <laughs> Well there you go Good for you Niall I'm going to be chatting very shortly by the way to Paul Curran of Carlo Fire Service and Carlo Historical Society. Society He'll be coming on to tell us about a talk that he's giving to celebrate Heritage Week But before that I think we need to take a little at break KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops food outlets and a state of the art IMC cinema see fairgreen.ie KCL you're welcome back to KCL or live this Monday morning what date is it because we had confusion about the date last week would it been a bank holiday it is Monday the 14th of August in case anybody needs to write a check or do anything like that this morning uh, just gone 22 minutes past two. Uh, Heritage Week is well underway and we've got a fabulous competition. Uh, we've got two 100 euro all for one vouchers to give away uh, to somebody this morning. All you have to do is listen to the clue that we played for you. We played it earlier on this morning. I'm going to give it another play in a moment and if you can identify the heritage site that we're talking about you are going to be in with a chance of winning that voucher. Have a listen to this. I date back to prehistoric times. My capstone weighs over 100 tonnes, making it the largest of its kind in Europe. What am I?
So we've got two different sites we want you to identify this morning. That's the first one. We'll have another site for you um, to identify in the second half of the show this morning. Yes, and as Brian said, it is Heritage Week and we'll be hearing more about what's happening across Kilkenny and Carlow later on in the show. But first, we're delighted to be joined in studio by Paul Curran of Carlow Historical Society. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Not too bad. Paul, you're here firstly to tell us a little bit. You're going to be doing a talk later on in the week, but you're going to send it forward for us by telling us a little bit about the ambulance service. Yeah, um, basically it goes back um, goes back to the 1860s, believe it or not. Um, the very basic ambulance service. You had the three or four hospitals in Carlow, Bagginstown and Tolo. Um, and back then, they didn't obviously have motorised um, uh, ambulances, so they had a kind of a horse, horse-drawn setup, very basic. Um, the very first driver that I could find in my research was uh, Joe Fogarty from 1899 to 1920. He, he drove the horse-drawn ambulance. And then he also had a backup, um, Joe McAvoy, uh, who stood in when he was out sick or he was on break, even though there, wouldn't, there wasn't much leave back then. Uh, and then from around 1940, 1924, actually, um, the first motorised fire plants uh, was um, was bought for Carlo. Um, back then, it was the county council that provided the ambulance service all the way up to 1971. Uh, as Michael far as 71, it was run by the council? Yeah, basically. Well, they provided um, the ambulance drivers and the vehicles. OK. Um, very basic now. Uh, Go back for a second to before we became motorised and a bit more techie. How did we inform the service that we needed an ambulance and how did they give them directions? Like that is such a an easy thing now, but I can't imagine how that was navigated back back well, then. It was, it was a very basic service and um, you had uh, the workhouses, um, which were kind of like uh, infirmaries and so on. And it was three in County Carlow. And basically, there's nowhere else to go. So they're just, you know, people that were sick or whatever. Um, had to be transported, uh, to depend how sick they were, from home to to the ho- uh, hospital for very basic attention back then. Uh, the ambulance drivers back then, now they, they were just list- literally hearse drivers um, because uh, they had no medical training of any sort. And that was the case well up into the, believe it or not, well up into the 60s, 1960s. Was it really? Yeah. That's unimaginable, isn't it? That you would Absolutely. actually be transporting somebody that is potentially critically or gravely ill and you wouldn't have a clue how to deal with that person, how to lift them. That, that's exactly, the, that was the whole point. It was very, very basic. Um, now, there was the Red Cross and it was the Order Mall to come on scene then in the, in the 19, late 1930s, just before the war, and the Civil Defence. And they actually had better training than the, the ambulance drivers because the ambulance drivers were specifically just um, to get drivers. you from A to B and that was it um, and it was it was the, I think even up into 1960s the civil um, the civil defence and the order of Malta actually provided training for the the basic training for the ambulance drivers um, so they worked very well together they worked in in, in conjunction with you with you, uh, with each other basically but it was very basic service up to the. 1965-1966 When you went back to get this information and in fact any information that you're looking to get Paul as an amateur historian is it very difficult the further you go back to, to get real reliable information that you can use with confidence? It is but um, the, the actual the, the newspaper archives is very very good and it's a website that you can through the, our library in County Carlow you can actually go in on it and it's great. If you put in buzzwords like ambulance service um, or fire service or um, 
nurses' names. Better again if you have your name. If you put in Tommy Wogan, you'll get any amount of information on, on Tommy, the, the great Tommy Wogan, who was in the Army Service from 1951 to 1992. He actually did an interview with um, Midlands Radio, I think it was, and his son gave, gave me a copy of that audio, and it's absolutely amazing. He was a Dublin-born gentleman, remarkable man, absolutely. The town loved him, and a great source of information. And um, the interview was fantastic. If you get an opportunity to hear it, it's absolutely fabulous. Like, and he goes literally through every year of his uh, service. And it was, it was Tommy that acknowledged the work of the Civil Defence and uh, Order of Malta, because they themselves had very only very basic training. Their job was to get the person into the ambulance and, uh, you know, get them straight to Kenny Hospital or whatever. Uh, and maybe they might stop if there was no sound in the back halfway to see is, is the person OK. And then in the 1960s, the nurses came on, on, on scene. Uh, the, the, the local authorities um, were reluctant enough at the time to, to organise it, but eventually, because of peer pressure from both the ambulance drivers and... Um, you know, the people in Carlow that, uh, and the hospitals that we need more medical people aboard. So from 1965-66 on then they start providing nurses as well. Now they did provide them for maternity cases but otherwise no. So um, uh, and when the nurses came on board um, you had great people back then that were involved in it. Um, Margaret Lee and Kay Kelly would have been some of the first nurses and uh, they had tremendous experience in it. Both, uh, I think Kay, for example, was in, was in uh, Britain during the war. And uh, when Manchester was blitzed by the Germans in uh, 1941 or two, um, she was on scene there and she, the experience she got stood to her big time. Like she, they helped treat uh, seriously injured people. They also treated miners as well um, in the coal mines. And back in, uh, here in Carlow, Kilkenny area, they dealt the same because I know there's a, a mine in in near Castle Comer and the injuries they would have seen at that like you know broken backs literally and bad burns and stuff like that so the, the experience these people had these ladies had was remarkable and it was great to get them back on board when they came on the scene then in the mid 60s It must have been a huge relief mm. to somebody to go back to the gentleman that you referenced there was it Tommy, Tommy, Wogan, Tommy yeah. Wogan did he talk any about fear that he had as a driver or any fatalities that occurred whilst he was driving that sounds like an amazing interview but I'd love to know you know how he felt as somebody that was responsible for bringing possibly a lifeless body back and how that would impact on him did he speak about that he had a good um uh, in in his interview he had a very good um you see he was ex-military himself he was in the royal air force during the world war Two, so he would have probably seen a few serious stuff himself you know what i mean and his his colleague paddy sweeney who who was there paddy sweeney was actually in damage service before i think paddy went in in the mid 1940s um, he was they call it demobbed after the war or whatever he went in first and then he happened to meet Tommy one day in Dublin because Tommy was a Dubliner and said ah Paddy how are you getting on ah Tommy how are you now about it you know the way to go on and um, said uh, I heard you look for a bit of work I am I am well they're looking for an Amos driver uh, below on Carlo if you're interested I said I should have a look at it and sure he came over to Carlo then in 1951 he um, he uh, he did the interview and he got it. He got the post. You know, he actually got it. So, um, but the experience he had through the warriors bought him. They would have seen ferocious sights and stuff. Um, so he had a good way of dealing with it. But uh, again, as I said, um, their concern really was to get him to the 
get mm. into that into the hospital as soon as possible. I have to say, I love your impression of a doubler and, and to say, you know, the way they go on. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get, if you heard the info, he has a, a tremendous gift of the gab, absolutely. Yeah, you know? They all do. Look at this fella here. They all do. Yeah. And I just want to go back a little bit. That sounds fascinating. Tell us about the, the talk and when it's on. It's on Wednesday, believe it or not. It's on at 8 o'clock in the Seven Oaks. And... Uh, each year, as I said, I do a different topic. Last year, I did the guards, right? And, like, I remember doing some research for that. And it was very hard to find photographs up in Dublin of the of the Gardaí in Carlow. But yet, the homes all over Ireland, all over Carlow, have fantastic photographs. And it's a great way of getting it. And it's the same with the with the ambulance service. I just showed you there, like, um, if you call, you know, if you make contact with descendants like the, the Wogan family and the Kerwin family and the Sweeney family and the Rogers family, uh, sadly, all these poor unfortunates have, have gone on out, have passed on after doing, you know, serving out their life. Um, but their descendants are still around and have tremendous photographs and they're happy to give them to you. And that's where you get all the information, all the photographs, plus the uh, newspaper archives online. You could pick any topic and using those archives, you, like I plan to do a talk on the history of the sugar factory in a couple of years time. Already I have oceans of photographs of, of from locals are all over Carlow. The same with the the fire service years ago. I have every single photograph there is of the fire service in County Carlow and probably most of Ireland. I have a tremendous collection. And it's just going around and talking to people. You meet them. It's a great way to get people out. People love to hear that their their predecessors or their their mams and dads, and I stress mams and dads, um, are mentioned and acknowledged. It's quite interesting because, I mean, text lines have actually, a lot of people texting us in, regular listeners saying, uh, two best drivers, Tommy Wogan yeah. and Mick Darcy, RIP to both of them. And, yeah. and Marion Dalton has also been on um, saying that uh, her mother said uh, of me going in ambulance to Dublin in 1943. She said um, her and another lady were very ill. Uh, they got a flat wheel on the way, but both got to hospital and lived to tell the tale. She also spoke of Tommy Wogan and Ted Dargan, and of course the two nurse walls in Bagnellstown Hospital. It's amazing how much, we forget about how many people are actually alive today because of the ambulance service throughout the years. Absolutely, and I just, I'll call out some of these names to you. And Do. Um, like I started with Joe Fogarty and Joe McAfee way back at the turn of the previous century. Then you had Michael Curran remarkable character as well and his wife Bridget who ran the, the, the nursing home the county home in Barrick Street really for up to 1966 when the, the nurses took over um, Paddy Sweeney as you mentioned uh, he retired in 1983 he was in it from the war years Roger Coffey another remarkable man he was in it at the same time as, as Paddy Sweeney and his son is alive and well and has a business in Nina and gave me some fantastic photographs uh, Tommy Wogan Ted Dargan Charlie Byrne the great Charlie Byrne uh, Jimmy Rogers uh, more recently, sorry, John Kennedy was in it from 1972 to 1976. Michael Darcy that you mentioned. Paul O'Connor, who finished up in 2016. Joe O'Brien, uh, who finished up in 2023. Uh, Billy Brown, uh, who was a former firefighter as well in Tolo originally, and he finished up uh, a few years ago. Eddie Owens, the late Eddie Owens, uh, passed away in 2000, a young man, heartbreaking. And I'm sure those names will mean a lot to listeners this morning. More on them and and other people that maybe we didn't get a chance to mention this morning, Paul, at your talk, which is happening in the Seven Oaks, 8pm on Wednesday, the 16th of August. Very quickly before you let you go, were you always interested in history? Were you in school soaking it all up? Uh, Well, soaking up something in school, (laughs) but 
probably to rain. <laughs> well, I had a hard times. Uh, no, I, I, I had a great interest in history and I did history. I didn't actually do it in my leaving cert. I only did it in my junior cert. But I have a tremendous interest in local history. And I think, especially now, even now that the, the big stories are sort of finished, which kind of culminated in 1923, 2023 now, the end of the Civil War. And then it's just kind of, you know, all the way up to 19, uh, to the 1940s, the emergency years. It's quite enough. Uh, probably the influence of the church and all that is, is the big stories back then. But at local level, there's such great history. And that's your particular interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this must be an amazing week for you, Heritage Week, where there's so much to take mm. in and to enjoy and to really appreciate. Paul Curran of the Historical Society in Carlo, thank you so much. And the very best thank of luck much, with yeah. your talk. We're yeah. going to take a short break. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie Kilkenny, Carlo, KCLR. Yes, you're very welcome back to KCLR Live. And if you've got any more information on any of those firefighters or stories that you want to tell us from throughout the years, don't be afraid to text us or WhatsApp us on 083 306 9696. They are the text and WhatsApp numbers, the sponsored line. Sponsored by dinnersready.ie. VWID buzz time. Yes, 100 euros new into the pot this week and a new sound to identify. The Volkswagen ID sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahearts.ie. So here is the sound we're hoping for you to identify this week. Yeah, it sort of sounds like somebody falling over. I'm not quite sure. Una, any thoughts on that yet? That, that was me falling over, Brian. Was Sorry. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly no, what it sounds like. Yeah, here is the actual sound. It wasn't doing a falling over, <laughs> trust me. But if you can identify what that sound is, text us or WhatsApp us 083 306 9696. The dinner's text or WhatsApp line. That mystery sound, of course, brought to you by the good people at the Hearts. The Volkswagen ID sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahearts.ie. Now, as usual at this time of year, the annual scramble starts for student accommodation. Una, did you struggle to get accommodation when you were going to college? Well, I didn't struggle to get it, but I did struggle to keep it because the very first year that I started had been down, got my accommodation, landed on with my bags and, and ready for the, the move in. And I was told that the lady had changed her mind. Maybe she thought better of me when she had to think about it. But anyway, <laughs> we had to head off myself, and my mother and look for something last minute. But lovely outcome. I met one of my great friends in life from my new emergency accommodation. So all good things end well. So these struggles haven't been going on for just the short term. They've been going on for years now, year after year after year. And joining us um, on the show this morning to tell us what the plight of students trying to find accommodation this year will be like from SETU Student Union and Carl or Mark Duffy joining me on the show this morning. Good morning, Mark. Uh, morning, Brian. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Well, first of all, I mean, it's it's a year-on-year year story, this story, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's it's a year-on-year year story, the scramble for student accommodation, not just in Carlo, but nationally. Um, but this year, I expect it to be quite bad. Um, possibly the worst that we've seen. Um, I know that's a bit pessimistic to be saying, but I suppose sometimes you have to be honest. Yeah, and um, in terms of that change, you know, what are we standing at this year? Is it looking worse this year than previous years? It, it's looking worse this year than previous years, for sure. Um, I mean, obviously, SETU Carlo, unfortunately, doesn't have its own on-campus accommodation. Students are forced to seek um, accommodation in the private rental sector from private landlords. 
However, the problem that we've seen since COVID-19 is we've seen a situation where landlords are now leaving the student market, selling houses and maybe putting family in them, letting them to Airbnbs, whatever. So what was, you know, the supply for students uh, three, four years ago, it's now not there. Um, it's, it's just quite frankly primarily families and stuff like that but there is no proper purpose-built student accommodation in Carl so students have to scramble for whatever's out there really and we're talking now what we're the 14th of August the uh, the academic year for students is going to be starting probably in about four weeks time and if there are people still looking for accommodation in the Carlow area what do you think the likely chances of them finding at this stage are I think they still have a chance of finding it at this point. I mean, there is still some some out there at the moment, but I definitely think after leaving cert results, it's going to be hard to find. Um, right now, it is kind of a case of hit and miss. Like we are seeing students look on the Facebook page, Student House Shark Carlo, which is a good one to join if you're looking for accommodation. Um, there's also a lot of houses going up on DAF.E, however, for a short period of time. So I still think at this point, there is that chance, but I definitely think by the end of the month, it's going to be very much hit and miss it's going to be very difficult and what about hotels in the area I mean talk of people reaching out to hotels to see if they can get uh, reductions on accommodation the hotel be it short term or, or medium term is that even a viable suggestion it's to put it, to put it quite frankly it's viable in the short term but it's not feasible in the longer term I mean no student wants to be paying 60 euros a night or whatever the, the rate might be now in a hotel just to go to college it's, it's not ideal because it's not your space um, we're seeing issues as, as well just on a side note where as I said properties that were once student properties are now not but we're in a situation where properties that were student, uh, student accommodation should stay for students they should not have to stay in hotels yes it's a good short term solution but it doesn't solve the longer term problem um, obviously students haven't said that still do it but I personally wouldn't encourage them to to do that and Mark we heard stories from government last week of um, uh, interdepartmental arguments really in terms of what these student accommodations were going to be used for the government announced last week that any building that was used for student accommodation previously must be returned to that uh, to that feature and for that use for the coming academic year um, does that have any effect on the Carlow area are there any stories of buildings that were previously being used as student accommodation that are no longer being used for student accommodation uh, not that I'm aware of, Brian, no. Um, not, not that I'm aware of anyway. I think everywhere now is kind of not really covered by that because if you have, say, purpose-built student accommodation, I'm going to use an example, but say the Hatch in Carlo um, by the post office, if that was that is solely a student accommodation centre, that's what that is, that's, that, that's what the sole purpose of the building is to do with its planning permission and stuff, if that was given away to families or Ukrainians or whatever, then it can't. It has to stay for students. It is a student centre for student accommodation. It must stay for students. However, I haven't heard of anything in Carlo like that happening this year. If it's something private, if it's if it's a family or whatever, they're well entitled to do what they want. If it's if it's a family house that they're renting out to students, um, but I haven't really heard of anything around Carlo this year. Thankfully, in that sense. But that said, the supply is tight. Mark, one of the things that I wonder about is we don't, as students, know where we're going to end up until quite late on in the process of looking for accommodation. So how do students navigate that? If I think I may end up in Carlo or I may end up in Dublin, do I need to put deposits down in both places and do my best to secure accommodation? And then what happens when I don't end up in Carlo? How does that all unravel over the coming weeks, typically? 
Um, typically, what we kind of see is a situation where if a student got, say, for example, their course is 300 points um, in Carlo, and they know for a fact what, like, obviously they can kind of predict it off their, you know, how they did in their leaving cert, and they're kind of full, full sure or full certain that they got a place in Carlo. What we've often seen in previous years, in the last year or two, is where students put down money on a place in Carlo, they go for it and they just hope for the best. Most of the time that works out. Having said that, you have to consider all the options. What we often see is other situations where students look at other places in the country in that sense. For example, Galway or Dublin, they might put down a small deposit, not much, but a small deposit on a place. And should that change, if it's refunded, it's refunded. If it's not, it's not, which is why they kind of give something low towards it. Um, but it generally is hit and miss. It's that time of year. It's a nightmare for a lot of uh, prospective first-year students. It's ad hoc, really. Yeah, I mean that. I mean the cost of accommodation are massive anyway. To even think about having to have the funds to put down potentially two deposits in two locations with the hope of getting one back—that's just a massive extra pressure on finances at this time of year when students are actually trying to get themselves sorted out. Yeah, no, definitely, it is. It is a massive financial pressure, but it's just the way the education system is in this country, and it definitely something needs to change about it. It's it's not fair on young people. It's not fair on potential first year 17 18 that are just starting out in life going to college it's definitely not fair definitely not but that's i suppose where the whole education system in that sense needs a whole overhaul because it's ad hoc really like no one can be fully 100 percent certain we're going to go to college that said they might have an idea but you can't dead start say this is where i'm going to go it's just russian roulette really depending on your cao results it is a little bit but i wonder mark does the students union have a role there in trying to put people in touch with others that maybe paid a deposit no longer leave the accommodation or is there an accommodation office that could do that because we have to hedge our bets a little bit when there's so much uncertainty and shortage of accommodation that's the reality um yeah we have a welfare officer here in the students union her name is ellie um in carlos or her email is suwelfare.cw at setusu.com um, she can be contacted if people are worried or struggling with accommodation matters um, there's also an accommodation officer um, in student services in Carlo um, but the email for that is just studentservices.cw at setu.ie um, and they will assist students with any relevant information that they need they can't get too involved um, in the situation but they can certainly guide prospective students or students with any issues they may be facing with accommodation. Yeah, it's, it definitely sounds challenging. Just give us those contact information addresses again for um, those that can help within the within the student union. Yeah, so for the student union, the welfare officer, her name is Ellie. So it's suwelfare.cw at setusu.com. And then there's student services on the Carlo campus. And there's just a general email for that which is studentservices.cw at setu.ie. Mark Dunn from SETU, Carl. Thanks for joining us on the phone this morning. As students prepare to go back to college, uh, struggling to get accommodation is a huge, huge challenge for them all. You know? I, mean, it, 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 I mean, it's an exciting time for them, but it must be stressful as well. I, well, I had a colleague, a couple of colleagues, in fact, but one in particular when her son was going to college last year and the stress, I think she lost about three pounds because mm. she was on the phone every second she got trying to like ring, ring, ring on the internet, would get a lead following it up. It was extremely stressful for her. And I can imagine that you'd nearly pay anything to avoid that stress, even if it ended, you ended up putting up on, on a deposit. I wouldn't fancy it, to be honest. When they said I was talking to um, a family member a couple of weeks back and, and he, his own children wouldn't call going age yet but I was amazed to hear him talking about potentially selling the family home so that when his his children 
are of college-going age that maybe they'd be in a position to downsize the house that themselves and his wife would be living in, but actually potentially have, hopefully, enough to buy a small little bed sit or a small little apartment somewhere. That's a, that's a huge type of sacrifice to make, isn't it? But very practical. I quite like that solution that you might think, well, I don't need the four-bedroom house and this would alleviate all the stress of paying huge rents in, in Dublin or, or wherever it might be. And it's a bit of an investment as well. So mm. I could 100% understand how somebody would yeah, end You can only that. do that if you've got a small enough family to, to manage that or you haven't got younger children who might need to stay at home and uh, still True. be accessing access to local schools, primary schools, secondary schools and their friends and the like. If you've got any questions or comments on kids going off to college and the accommodation problems, 083 306 Maybe you're somebody who for the first time is actually trying to get a child into accommodation somewhere. Let us know what your struggles are. We've got a winner on the first of our uh, heritage site competitions we've got another one coming up in the next hour we've asking you this morning to identify um, the first of our mystery sites and uh, we've got one coming up in the second hour as well but the winner for the first hour Pat Coleman from Ballinabrana should I say correctly answered uh, Brooms Hill the Dolman as the heritage site that Etna was talking about a little bit earlier on. But you can stay tuned and stay listening because we've got another €100 Euro one for all voucher uh, to give away in the next hour. It's just coming up on 10 minutes to 11 o'clock now. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment uh, with some music. We've got some fantastic music lined up from... Uh, are you an REM fan? Am I an REM fan? Depends on the song. There are a few modern ones in there, but if it's happy and upbeat, I'm all about it. Yeah, we'll find out just after this. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. Fairgreen.ie. KCL or. Or I'm there with shiny happy people at six minutes, nearly five minutes to 11 o'clock this morning. I hope you're doing well this Monday morning. Interesting text in from a listener on that student accommodation saying, uh, can you tell me how much students can afford to pay for accommodation? I have three ensuite rooms, could do with the money. I'm an old age pensioner. I've no idea how much students um, can pay, should pay, would be willing to pay. But that type of idea is um, could be the type of idea that would suit everybody, could it is amazing. And firstly, I would say to that lady, maybe contact Ellie if she's in Carlo, the, the accommodation officer, the welfare officer, or go on daft and get a kind of a ballpark idea of how much. But that reminds me of something they do in France where you have kind of like a mutual benefit mm. in a student going to live with a person of a certain age, perhaps. And they might do the shopping. The rent might not be quite as expensive as elsewhere, but they might do a little bit about the house, cut the grass. I think it's a brilliant idea and I think the company can be lovely if it works out for the person. Both ways, because yes. I mean, often students being away from home for the first time might need that sort of matriarchal type character to be able to go home and maybe even have a little cry to every now and then. And, um, you know, people of retirement age, they've, they've been through it all. They've faced it all before. 
Absolutely. And the lovely thing in that example of that lady that texted in is there would be two other students there. So if you're maybe starting college and you know nobody, you have two people that you'll know straight away, even if it's just to say, how was your day? Awful. Like it's nice to have a little bit of support in the house or someone that you'll recognise around the college as you find your feet. I would love to see more people getting on board and offering accommodation under those kind of circumstances. I do think there was a government policy, certainly in the Dublin area a couple of years ago to try and encourage this. It was sort of nationwide. But I mean, people independently who, uh, you know, particularly now that we're off the back of COVID and, you know, for the last three years, you certainly wouldn't have been open as a pensioner to taking anybody into your house, even family members. Um, But maybe people haven't experienced that loneliness for the last couple of years might be more willing to do so now. Yes. And giving up your space, compromising your privacy might seem like a lovely thing. Would you do it? I mean, I would definitely consider it. I do sometimes feel guilty because it is so hard to find accommodation in places like Kilkenny and and Carlo that I feel like I should. But I'm not quite there yet, but I would definitely consider it in the future, yes. Yeah, 0833069696. Let me know your thoughts. Are you somebody who might consider uh, sharing your home space with a student if they were looking for accommodation? Could be good. Could be an extra couple of quid in your pockets. Uh, It's three minutes to 11 o'clock. News at 11 o'clock is on the way. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IM cinema. See fairgreen.ie Thanks Ashton, you look like a very studious person. How did you manage or struggle with student accommodation? Um, It was a little bit of a struggle, I'm not going to lie. Where did you go? Galway. Galway. Yeah, I love Galway. Now, I, I want to <laughs> ask you a question. Did, okay. If I was going to go to college, I think I'd go to Galway. Yeah. I would completely agree with that. It was amazing. Not for any educational reasons, just Galway seems like the type of place to be. The only thing is, obviously, I went, like, I just finished my final year now and I went during COVID, so I don't think I got the full experience. And then we were, like, in lockdown and all that. And then all the nightclubs closed as well and they never reopened. (laughs) So we actually don't have, like, a proper nightclub in Galway City. Well, what you probably would have wanted then if you were going to go to college in Galway during lockdown is somebody like Una who was willing to open up her house. Because I reckon, I reckon if you were staying with Una, she'd be the type of person that'd be wanting to know when Rag Week was on so she could probably (laughs) tag along. You know, were you a fan of Rag Week when I you were in college? I adored it. But when I look back on that, I just think, what on earth were we doing? It was madness. But I went to Limerick and I spent a year in Galway. And Galway, I have to say, is a magical city. It reminds me a lot of Kilkenny. Yeah. But it, it really is a beautiful place mm-hmm. to study. Yeah. Highly recommend. Mm. No, I would as well. I loved it there. Yeah, OK. Well, you wouldn't want to stay with me because I didn't go to college. I wouldn't have had a clue <laughs> of the struggles that you were facing. But Ashley, thanks as always for joining us um, on the news. She will be back, of course, at 12. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie Now as Heritage Week gets into full swing, Olo Sullivan, Heritage Officer with Carlo County Council, joins us in studio. And John Lusby, Birdwatch Ireland, is also on the line with us because we've got to talk all things heritage and indeed the Barn Isle. Oh, and you're very welcome to studio. Um, great to have you in here. So, uh, Heritage Week. It's in full swing now at this stage. Are you enjoying a sigh of relief now that it's started? Are you joking me? (laughs) (laughs) I want to roll over and go back to sleep. It's absolutely brilliant. And that's uh, tiredness is, I suppose, a a sign of a really, really great weekend. We've had fantastic events all over the weekend and we've still got the whole week to go and a weekend. So there's just everybody get out, get active, get out and enjoy it. Uh, It's been great fun so far. And I know there's plenty more happening all over the country. And I know that this year's theme, Owen, is inviting us to explore the traditions, practices, knowledge and skills passed down from previous generations. Is that all? 
always a theme? Is that what we're always trying to do and celebrate in Heritage Week? I suppose it kind of is. Yeah, I mean, look, Heritage is such a a wide ranging subject. It it, it really is right inside of us. Uh, It's everything we make, everything we do, the landscape we live in, the trees and the birds like the barn owls. the stories we tell, you know, it's it's just fascinating. I mean, look, this is part of our living heritage. Having this conversation itself about our heritage is brilliant. So, yeah. So we're trying to bring forward the old practices that maybe might otherwise have gotten lost along the way. Is that a, a big part of this year's theme? It is, yeah, yeah. And I suppose uh, just to reflect on that this weekend, I mean, we had two lovely events. We had, I was corrected, it's not Rathana, it's Rahana. <laughs> I was told that last night. We had the, the ICA Guild there, did a lovely event collecting stories stories from their school reunion. Uh, we had three people there in 90, mid-90s coming along to that reunion. They're doing fantastic work. And then Drum and Bog on Saturday morning, they were talking about the memories and the stories of people who lived around the bog and had the knowledge of the bog and the fear factor of not bringing animals onto the bog. And then even last night we had Councillor Tommy Kinsler opened up his traditional farm building to bring people in and see where the churning was done, the parlour. So it was it was such a, 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 it was a very family orientated event and yet everybody came in and became part of that family. So it was absolutely brilliant. And you're sparking, I'm sure, really interesting conversations and going back over memories that are just invaluable to bring with us into the future, aren't they? Absolutely. Owen, give us a flavour of what else is coming up. We're going to be chatting Barn Owls with John Lusby shortly, but what else do we have coming up around the counties over the next week or so? Well, i I, I got to be honest, I suppose for me, I'm <laughs> my head's completely in Carlo. So in Carlo, what I'd say, if anybody is, has, if anyone has ever gone by a water pump and gone, what in heaven's name was that? Or where did it go? Or what can we do it in the future? There's a lovely event today at two o'clock up near Tullow. Louise Marr has been brought in to do a short kind of an audit of water pumps because this is something that came up. We often forget about the, the everyday street furniture. That's a huge part of our heritage as well, where they were made, what were the foundries, right down to the stories of the children and the families collecting the water. And, and not in a, a lovely, I mean, a lot of people would have gone, oh, we'll have to go get the water again. But there's so much architecture around that. Uh, some areas in Carlo, they've used them as little biodiversity areas, uh, which is really, really nice. So. This is what we want to look at. So that's happening today. And also we have a lovely event. Um, Mr. Couchman out near Carlow Town. He's actually opening up his land to a large number of oak trees he has on it. And then tonight, Chaz, I just have to give a special shout out to Carlow Historical and Archaeological Society. They have really upped the ante this year. They're doing four or five walks brilliantly. They're doing walks in Tullow. Uh, they're doing walks down St Mullins tonight led by Bridget Fox who's on the Heritage Forum and is a, is a really powerhouse for heritage for years in Carlo which is fantastic so there's quite a lot there's quite a lot happening. that's just tonight and then mm-hmm. tomorrow if I can just I'd say anyone who is interested in Carlo Castle uh, a lot of people have said to me is there a castle in Carlo and, and I have to look and go I'm a dub so I can get away with that <laughs> uh, yes there is but we have Professor Thaig O'Keefe who uh, School of Archaeology UCD he's not just knowledgeable he's a bit of crack so he'll actually come as he said himself I'll give a talk and I'll tell a few jokes if you want <laughs> so that's the theme of Heritage Week come along it's at lunchtime tomorrow come down meet Tyke just hear about the castle and how it compares and contrasts with other castles around the country oh and that's one of the things I love about Heritage Week it's the, it's the, the variety the diversity of the type of subjects that we talk about and you know continuing on that theme uh, one of the talks that's happening during Heritage Week John Lusby joins us on the show this morning he's from Boardwatch and he's going to be talking all things barn 
Parnells on a recent survey in Kilkenny. Uh, John, you're very welcome along to Casey and Alive. Give us some of the standout moments from that recent survey and how you plan to discuss those during Heritage Week. Yeah, th- thanks very much for having me on, and great to hear the diversity of events from Owen that are that are happening across the uh, uh, across Carlo and across the country. In fact, um, so d- d- delighted to be part of it. So yeah, tomorrow even we're given, um, I suppose, presenting some of the work that we have done in Kilkenny recently, and and that's in collaboration with Kilkenny County Council and National Parks and Wildlife Service. And oh, it, it's not just last year, but over the last three years, we've been we've had a you know sh- shone the spotlight on barnels, and we've tried to, I suppose, increase our understanding about how barnels are faring in Kilkenny, and also what we need to do to try and help the population and uh, delighted to say that work has gone amazingly well it's been re- really really positive and that's be because of you know the, the buy-in because of the help from you know a whole range of people the Kilkenny Birdwatch Ireland branch landowners across the county so it's a really good opportunity tomorrow to kind of showcase what we've been doing and showcase some of the positive findings um, of which there are many I'm delighted to say tomorrow evening so really looking forward to it and John how are uh, Barnells doing in Kilkenny? Uh, quite good actually and I never thought I'd be in the position that I'd actually be saying that because you don't have to go back that far I mean even if you go back you know 10-20 years uh, barnel numbers in the county would have been much lower um, and there would have been quite a, a scarce species I suppose if you go back further than that you know kind of going back you know barnels were once a much more common bird around the uh, around Kilkenny but also around the, the country kind of going back to the you know kind of uh, maybe five six decades ago and it was around that time then that the population started to decline similar with a lot of our other farmland birds you know species that people would be familiar with like corn crake like curlew like yellowhammer and and barn owl as well you know quite suffered a lot from changes in you know changes in the landscape changes in farming and uh, and the population would have hit a very low point around kind of 10 15 years ago but since then actually we've started to see a slow resurgence of the population and and actually one of the counties where we've really seen that the most is is county kilkenny and we've seen you know birds now nesting in areas that they haven't been present in for for quite some time for several decades which is absolutely fantastic and part of that there, there's a range of reasons for the population recovery but definitely in Kilkenny one, one of the big reasons is you know the, the helping hand that, that a lot of farmers have given them by you know ch- slight changes to the way they're farming by providing artificial nest sites so nest boxes for barn owls to encourage them to nest in areas and, and providing safe and secure nesting sites for them and we've seen a really really good response from birds from the population to the, to those measures and uh, delighted to say now that for the first time you know in 50 years we're actually seeing you know uh, uh, it's a slow increase I'll say that but it is an increase nonetheless in, in, in barnal numbers which is absolutely fantastic And I wonder John does that have to do with the fact that we're more conscious of the negative effects of rodenticide and, and other sort of vermin killers and I believe, ironically enough, that putting that down is less effective than the natural consumption of the owl themselves. Am I right in saying that? It is indeed, yeah. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite an ironic thing because, you know, back in the days before rat poisons, barn owls are actually one of the best means of controlling rodents. And I think that's why they're still so well-loved and so popular to this day because, you know, they were seen as hugely lucky to have nesting around a farmyard or, or, or on the farm because of the role that they played in controlling rats and mice. Um, and then, you know, obviously in more recent times, rat poisons have been developed and they've become the most common means now of you know, of controlling rats and mice. But obviously, the, using rat poisons, that can have a negative effect on barn owls. Um, not only barn owls, in fact, a, a wide range of wildlife. And the problems occur, you know, you, you put out rat poison, obviously it's targeted to control rats and mice, but, you know, many other species can become contaminated, can come into contact with these poisons, and it can have, a, you know, a, a negative effect that way. So I think... You, the, 
definitely I think there's a there's a slow awakening to to the you know the, the negative effects of rat poisons but I would definitely say it's, it's a problem that hasn't yet gone away I mean it's great to hear examples there's a farmer um, from near Johnswell that'll be at the at the talk tomorrow even Nicky Murphy and he says it much better than me because he's a farmer on the ground and he's seen he, he, he's, he, he's seen the you know the practical value of having barn owls on his land he put up a nest box and courage for uh, barn owls nest there and he said prior to that he used to use two books two books of rat poison every year he, he hasn't had to use any rat poison since the birds have, t- have taken up residence they're doing what they do best controlling the rats and mice so it's fantastic when you hear you know it, it's getting back to a more natural balance it's letting you know it's letting nature more take its course and removing the, the you know the, the, the need to use these chemicals which can you know can have really harmful effects and not just on the owl species obviously just going back to the barn owl and, and owls generally I always think that a real air of mystery surrounds them because we don't see them and then with their forward kind of facing eyes they look kind of scary is that just me or, or do we all feel that way no, I think you're dead right in terms of there's 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 an aura of mystery around them, and I think again that's probably one of the reasons. Like barn owls, it's 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 really interesting species in that they're still a very rare bird in Ireland. Most people in Ireland will never have seen a barn owl in the wild, but yet practically everybody from young to old knows exactly what a barn owl is. If you show them a picture, they'll instantly know that's a barn owl. They're instantly recognisable, and they're definitely up there probably with robin and puffin as you know as, as our best known, best loved birds, even though they are so so rare. And I think you know that the, the, probably some of the reasons for that if you again if you go back you know uh, you know, you know quite some time barn owls are, were very much tied in with their mythology with their folklore in fact they're very closely linked with the legend of the banshee and that's because the barn owls they have a, a very kind of you know eerie blood curling screech um, which, which, which they let out generally you know in the, the, the winter late winter into the spring and you know if you don't know what's making that sound it can be a very a very frightening frightening sound and led to the you know the, this myth of the banshee this woman that, that wails at night. Um, I think that as well as the fact obviously they're nocturnal, they're only out and about at night. They also inhabit places like, you know, graveyards, old churches, you know, places like that. And their 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 calls are very, very eerie. They don't make, you know, a lot of people think when they think owl, they think, you know, that the twit twoo, that's nothing like, like a barn owl sounds at all. They have that, you know, blood curling screech and then the call the young make is actually, we call it snoring. It's actually a, a hissing sound. It sounds like, you know, a deep inhalation of breath. It sounds like somebody snoring. So you can imagine you hearing those those sounds from a you know a, a you know a ruined a ruined church or or the or the likes and you'd be forgiven for thinking that you know for thinking that the building is haunted so i think that you know uh, that's a lot to do with the fact that you know that they're you know they're so you know that they that they're so well known there's you know there's so there's so many stories um you know surrounding barn owls um i i i think but an absolutely amazing bird to if you've been lucky enough to see it in the wild they're an absolutely spectacular bird to to witness i never had so you know the who 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 that doesn't exist does it that sound it does yeah so that, that, that so the tawny owl would be the closest to that and the tawny owl is a bird that we don't have in Ireland they actually they, they, they are present and, and, and nest across the water in, 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 in Great Britain but we don't have them in Ireland and they do make that classic and twit true um, call but we don't have any owls in Ireland that make that call so we have the, our most common owl species are the barn owl and then the long-eared owl and, and neither of those sound anything like that twit true so you're unlikely to hear that in the Irish countryside but, 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 but definitely worth keeping your 
interiors open for you know the scream sometimes you know a vixen fox can sound similar but also that's that hissing sound and that snoring sound and 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 that's if you hear that it's a that you know a, a fantastic sound to hear because that means that there's that there's barn owls nesting close by that there, that there's that that there's young chicks Okay, I think it's actually worth people going on and listening to the sounds because, as you say, they are very unrecognisable from the classic sound that we think in our Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Yeah, there you go. That's my effort now. Um, John, I mean, obviously, barn owls have become really, really popular with young people, all to do with Harry Potter. I mean, every young person I know wants to own their own owl now. When you're doing your talks, will, will, would it be a good talk for, for young people to go along and, and see and enjoy? It is indeed. The good thing with barn owls is plenty of gory content and, and footage of them swallowing rats and mice and, and, and all oh, that. Oh, kids stuff. love that. So, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it's a talk for all ages, so for young and old, and there'll be... It's, I, I, I don't like much uh, much much uh, text or much writing on my presentation, so it's all footage and, uh, and, and, and nice images of birds and also the places that they inhabit. And just as Owen was describing with the you know, Heritage Week being a celebration of both cultural and natural heritage, no better species than barn owl, because that's where it both blends our cultural and natural heritage because a lot of the places that barn owls live and inhabit are, you know, old ruined castles and, 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 and mansions and, 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 and churches, you know, really important in our cultural heritage. So definitely it's, it, it's, a, it's a talk for all ages and definitely, definitely please, please do come along if you want to learn a bit more about barn owls and if you want some, some positive news as well because I think, you know, in conservation often, unfortunately, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of doom and gloom about species declining and, you know, species that are in trouble and thankfully with barn owl, you know, that trend is, it, 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 that, mm. that trend is booked and, yeah. you know, Absolutely. And John, just tell us once more where that talk is taking place and when. So it's the Rivercourt Hotel. If you go onto the um, Heritage Week website, all the details for this and also all the other Heritage Week events are on the, the Heritage Week website. And this talk is on the Rivercourt Hotel in Kilkenny tomorrow evening at half seven. John Lusby from Birdwood Joint. Thanks for joining us on KCLR Live this morning. Alan Sullivan, Heritage Author with Carlow County Council is still with us. Um, John has sort of done most of your job for you really in terms of highlighting the diversity of heritage and uh, the fun that it can be. He has. Well, look, in, in fairness, as he said with the fun, there's no, there's, it's, you, you have to go and see children pulling barn owl pellets to pieces <laughs> to see the excitement because all the little bones are there of the various different roads it's, it's fascinating but I will tell you this much I'm not good on bird song but I can do a very good barn owl at the end of Heritage Week when I sleep can you do it right now? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no no that's not quite it I think I'll go with the woohoo <laughs> he hasn't quite got to the end of Heritage Week just yet he's not quite tired enough to do a perfect barn owl impression Ono Sullivan thank you very much for joining us Heritage Officer with Carlow County Council and of course all of the information on all of the events taking place right across the country are available on Heritage Week's website you can search it up you can find it all on there and of course we've got the continuation of our competition to try and get you all involved it's Heritage Week and to celebrate we're going to help you identify some of those local heritage sites we've got a 100 euro offer one voucher to give away to a lucky listener all you have to do is have a listen to our clue each hour and tell us the name of this heritage site we're going to Kilkenny for this hour Founded in the 12th century, I'm one of the best examples of a medieval Cistercian Abbey in Ireland. What am I?
Okay, so if you think you know what that site is, you can text us on 083 306 9696 to be in with a chance of winning a 100 euro one for all voucher. Just a reminder, this hour we are in Kilkenny. So if you think you know where it is, 083 306 9696. And don't forget, coming up after the break, as always at this time of the week, Samantha Rawson from the Canine College will be joining us in studio. Don't go anywhere. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie KCLR You're very welcome back to KCLR Live 24 minutes past 11 o'clock this morning Um, There's one person in the studio we all love talking to It's a dog's life with Samantha Rawson Samantha Rawson, happy Monday morning You're very welcome along in Jesus, you make me feel like a star, Brian. Do I do my best? I do my best. It's a, it's a lovely intro. Yeah, I'm good. Hi, Una. How are you doing? Great to see you. It's like I just said, it's my my education, my doggy education for oh, the good. week, Samantha. I'm, I'm soaking it all up because I'm so desperate for your knowledge and expertise. Good. This week we're chatting about emotional safety and how important that is for dogs. So I'm sure a lot of people are going, oh, for goodness sake, but explain why that is important. OK, so so if a dog is fearful, if a dog is reactive because it's fearful, if a dog is nervous, you can't influence its behaviour until it feels safe. So So trying to train a dog or trying to correct undesirable behaviour, I won't say... Um, bad behaviour because it's just undesirable because it's embarrassing you know for us as owners it's embarrassing um, you can't possibly influence a dog's behaviour until they feel safe and safety is about trust because the dog in order to be able to take instruction or guidance from you the owner or the trainer or the dog groomer or the vet or whoever it is the dog has to feel safe in their presence um, and until the dog feels safe you're, you're kind of wasting your time that's why an awful lot of dogs won't eat food. You know, some trainers will go, oh, give them food, distract them with food. Some dogs, if they're very upset, they won't eat food. So food are, isn't going to work in those situations. So how do we get them to that place where they're going to feel safe with whatever direction they're getting from their owner? Um, I suppose that's down to the relationship, Una. So that's really important that at home you never give the dog any reason to distrust you. So um, you don't give out to them for being a dog. So if they pick up a sock and run off with it, that's what dogs do. Why would you give out to them? I would prefer to praise them and encourage them to come back to me. Um, I'm not going to give out to a dog for jumping on the counter and maybe robbing a bit of food if I left the food on the counter. There's so many things that dogs get in trouble for when actually it's the owner's fault. Mm. Dogs are dogs and they will always do what dogs do, which is take food that's available, be curious about things like smelly socks and, and roll in fox poo and maybe run out the gate if the gate is open. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're dogs. Th- they are, but I feel I have to go back to the sock example. Mm. A personal bugbear of mine at the moment because mm-hmm. no sock is safe, but I feel I have to say to, to my dog, no, oh, no. Is oh, that not okay? No, no, no. Because <laughs> I'm loving this. I am abs- I'm sitting here because I'm loving you and again. So I love so I like, he knows oh. you've been in trouble. Okay, so your dog is a cavapoo. Yes. Right, so what's a cavapoo? Um, a sock eater. It's a cross between a cavalier King Charles Spaniel and a poodle. Also that? Both have gun dogs in their background. Gun dogs were selectively bred by man to pick up things. Now, neither of those dogs are working dogs anymore, so they're now a pet in your home. It still has a brain that says pick up things. It picks up a lovely smelly sock because it carries your scent or the family scent and then you give out to it. You've just completely compromised that dog's trust in you. 
because you're telling it to do something that it was selectively read to do. That's a, a brain. That's a brain wreck for a dog. And it's something that I hear on a daily basis. And that's why I love doing this radio piece, because this is my chance to explain to you how a dog thinks. Don't forget, if you've got text or WhatsApps that you want to get in to ask Samantha, 083 306 Do you just have to buy more socks then? Is that the best way to do yeah. that? Yeah, you have to give them stuff that's appropriate that they can chew. And if, if they do pick up a sock, that you praise them and you tell, tell them they're great because that's what they believe. So, so there's no point in going against them. So think about a small child that is scribbling on a, on a bedroom wall. You're not going to go, oh my God, don't do that. You're going to go, that's beautiful, darling, but I'd rather you did it on paper. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That I would absolutely be saying, darling, you are no Picasso, get off my wall. Yeah, but but ideally, you would give them paper. You're not saying don't scribble, don't be creative, don't be a child. You're saying don't do it on the wall. But so so when you take the, the sock off the dog, you're saying to the dog, don't do, now this is the important bit, Una, don't do what generations of my ancestors as human beings have trained you and selectively bred you to do. It's not the dog's fault that it now lives in your home and is a pet dog as opposed to a working dog. Okay. Do you know what I mean? But even to the point where when I put on my shoes, yeah. she's trying to... So I just feel like she's I playing. have to see. She wants to play. But is it really going to emotionally scar her to the yes. point where she needs counselling if I say yes. no? No. Yes, because a couple of weeks ago, Una, the conversation was she ran out of the park and wouldn't listen when you came <laughs> up, called her back. So that's a dog that says, why would I go back to you? Which is why, back to about feeling emotionally safe. Okay. Why would I go back to you? Because you're the one who gives out to me when I pick up a sock or try and play with you when you're getting guessed. Your responsibility as an owner, and sorry, I don't mean to make this all about Una. Um, <laughs> you walk away, Samantha. I'm quite enjoying this, to be quite honest with you. Um, um, our responsibility as dog owners is to be able to set up the situation that we keep our dogs out of trouble so that we reduce the possibility of of scolding them or reprimanding them or whatever it is, because it's all about keeping that relationship of trust, you know, safe and, and trust and safety are absolutely connected and paramount. So, again, think about your children. You know, yes, sometimes they have to be scolded. Yes, sometimes they have to be corrected. But you try and do it in a way that it doesn't um, shake their trust and faith in, in yeah. us as parents. It's something we've talked about before, Samantha. Doing that research before you actually get a dog and uh, bring a dog. I mean, uh, most people pick dogs based on aesthetics. Uh, yeah, they do. What yeah. they look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want a little fluffy... Yeah. You've no back garden. Yeah. The thing wants to run around the place but like they, a lunatic. Yeah, even even the best looking, cutest dogs, they all have brains. Yeah, I know, I know. So it, you know? It, it goes back to that research. Are there dogs or breeds of dogs that you would recommend that are better... Uh, I know what you're going to say to this, but I'm going to ask the question. Here. Are there dogs that are better suited to being house dogs than others um, yeah but but it, it it's regardless of the breed Brian we're still back to the little Cavapoo who is a gorgeous little house pet but they still have a brain still will behave in the in the way that their genetics dictate that they behave because they're a cross between a cavalier and a poodle or a cocker and a poodle mm. they are still beautiful house pets but you still have to appreciate who they are and not try and work against it you have to work with with them rather than I talk about how clever they are Texas saying to me um, my dog Jack Russell uh, hides them you love the, the mischievousness yeah. of a, well, you're going to love this text message this particular Jack Russell hides the mobile phone on his um, owner because he's looking for attention apparently instead of me using the phone are okay. they really that intelligent yeah well what you can do the way, there I don't think she's saying it's a problem oh yeah she enjoys she, it obviously probably, which yeah. is great yeah great crack so it's the same solution if it was a problem it doesn't sound like it is to this owner but the solution to the sock and the mobile phone is to praise them every time they pick it up 
and and swap it for a reward. Now, Una, your face has changed because you're going, why would I praise her for picking up a sock? You're praising her for picking up a sock because if you don't, she could possibly kill herself and then run off and you're going to waste time chasing her around this, the, the bedroom or the sitting room, wherever it is. Whereas if you praise her and teach her to swap for a treat, she will pick up the sock and automatically bring and it to you. And she'll give it back to you. Can I go back to another behaviour that I think is difficult? Just because just I want to stick with the piece of how do you stop something that is a bit problematic. Well, why do you want to stop it? That's well, why I was going to ask you about pulling on the lead. So okay. we need to go for a walk. I yeah. have a limited amount of time in the morning and yeah. I want her to work off a little bit of energy. Yeah. But she's pulling, pulling, pulling. Yeah, yeah. So how can I gently, if I'm not... Play with her. There you go. Play with her with your sock before you bring her out for a walk and take some diesel out of the tank. Your dog, by the sounds of things, is begging to be played with. She is. She's begging to be interacted with. She sounds like she's quite clever. So I would try and play with her. So teach her maybe to retrieve a, a, a ball in a sock and then eventually get rid of the sock altogether because that dog sounds like she wants to retrieve and she wants to play. Very easily trained. So if you can play with her and teach her to retrieve and have a bit of crack with her and empty some diesel out of the tank before you go for a walk also put the lead on as far away from the door as possible so you never put the lead on in the place of high excitement and most times that's the whole door because they associate the door with going out for a walk so I tend to put the, the lead on as far away from the door as I can okay. to reduce the level of excitement and just so I'm 100% clear Samantha you were saying <laughs> that no more no she'll pick it up eventually Samantha yeah well, well I, I do say no to dogs but I say just no I don't give out to them I'm just giving them information but that's what I feel I'm doing if they no yeah. no is that okay yeah and then uh, three strikes right so you've said it three times you're not getting anywhere the dog isn't learning you're you know looking at your clock I've got to get out of here then I would just do something about it like I'd pick her up and pop her behind a baby gate and say sorry darling I don't have time for this I don't want to get cross with you but I can't really engage in this because I've got a life to get on with so pop her behind the baby okay, gate so it's the naughty step for the well, it's not the no 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 okay. it's not the naughty step <laughs> <laughs> no it's not the naughty step it's okay. a place for her safety and your sanity, sanity. Okay. Is that no, it's interesting for me watching this conversation go backwards and forth. Are we too interested, Samantha, in trying to sculpt and mould dogs yes, Brian, to our thank command? You. Thank you, Brian. You yes, know, they're independent, yes. individual, yes. um yes. souls of their yes. own. If 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 you were let's say you moved a man into the house <laughs> or a woman. Back to this relationship fascination that Brian has. I have because I take most of what you say. I am not lucky enough to have a dog in my life, but I have family members, yeah. and I yeah. can apply all of this logic to family members. Yeah. If I've got a person in my life, right, yeah. and um, they, they, I, I want to get them to stop playing go, with my I socks, for example. Okay, so we're talking about using positive reinforcement on that's other the, on right. other animals. Yes, it works. <laughs> it does work. Yeah, yeah. So, what's your question? What would you like to? I don't know. Out? I just love the fact that um, I could take anything that you yeah. say and apply it to the yeah. people in my life, yeah, and I think it would work equally well. Positive reinforcement works on any animal. It's all about giving them a reason to to do what you want them to do. We call it manipulation. But, you know, otherwise it's known as dog training. Um, uh-huh. The other thing, just to finish on, I know we need to finish, just to finish on that, that when you say, I feel like we're trying to mould dogs into things they're not. Yes, we are. And think about your children. You wouldn't try to mould your children into something else. You try and w- work with who they are, with love and guidance. And okay. dogs are no different. Unless they really push me buttons. Okay. <laughs> them out. But actually, I think what you said is very interesting. Look at your dog's nature and try and work with that. So I'm yeah. going to do that and try right. to give her loads of... You've loads of socks, Brian. Bring me yeah. in a few of yours. I will. I will indeed. Uh, Samantha Ross, and talking about positive reinforcement, uh, reinforcement, as always, it's been a pleasure to have you in the studio. <laughs> and we look forward to the pleasure of your company again at a similar time next week. 
It's a dog's life with Samantha Rawson. Yeah, dog's life with Samantha Rawson. 24 minutes to 12 o'clock. We're going to take a short break, after which we'll be hearing from Edwina Grace because Erlingford is set for a revamp. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. KCL don't forget we've still got 100 euros to give away this morning in the form of a one for all voucher if you think you can identify this site in Kilkenny send us in a text Founded in the 12th century I'm one of the best examples of a medieval Cistercian Abbey in Ireland What am I? Oh eight three three zero six nine six nine six. If you think you can identify that historic site in Kilkenny, hundred euros up for grabs. If you can, yeah, we've given a hundred euros away already this morning. We're going to give another one of those all for one vouchers away between now and twelve o'clock. Now, Edwina Grace has been out and about because Orlingford is set for a revamp, but don't expect major changes overnight. The master plan for the North Kilkenny area is out for public consultation, and it has a lot of suggestions, which you can check out online at. Con- consult.kilkenny.ie or in person at the local library, the planning office at Kilkenny County Council and also the Castle Comer Area Office. While between 5 and 8pm tomorrow evening in Erlingford Library, they'll also host a public drop-in session where you can view the plan with local authority staff on hand to answer all your questions. Eridwina Grace returned to the former Bank of Ireland building where there is being transformed into a remote working hub to meet with some of the town team. So my name is Dimna Hayza and I'm the chair of the Arlingford Town team. We set up about two years ago and I suppose our timing is perfect because we are operating when the government is very committed to rural regeneration. So we've been very lucky so far in that we've successfully applied for the funding to turn the former Bank of Ireland building into a remote working hub. We're standing here today. And we've also procured funding to refurbish the first phase of the refurbishment of our very large community centre. We're doing this at a very, very good time because Heather Humphreys and her department, they have been truly supportive of communities around the whole country who are trying to regenerate their community socially and economically. I suppose the most recent happening for Erlingford is that we have been selected by the government to pilot the town centre first strategy for Kilkenny and the master plan to implement this strategy has been approved by the County Council and it will be in Erlingford Tuesday for viewing by the entire community and we'll also meet the team that has prepared this plan and there'll be a chance to ask for questions. It's a great opportunity but of course you know I suppose people are rightly cynical about plans but we're confident that this time because we're piloting a new strategy that there will be a real commitment to make this plan work and we know it'll be long term but we're absolutely delighted that Erlingford is the focus 
and we all see huge potential for the town. And the plan itself, it's quite aspirational, but I know the County Council executive have warned it's not going to see major changes overnight. This is a long-term project. Oh, absolutely, and we accept that. But we're happy with the long-term, but what we don't want is another plan that ends up on the shelves. We have a very strong partnership with the Council now, so we'll keep working with them, and we'll support them in any way they can that they need to implement and to make this plan work. So we're all very excited about it and the town is all looking forward. I'm sure there'll be a big turnout Tuesday. People love living here. Mm. They want the community to develop and to become an even better place to live. And I mean, that's what we're all about. What would you like to see happen here? Well, I suppose when we set up the town team, a lot of thought went into what we wanted. But we really wanted a town where people wanted to live and work, to grow up and to grow old in. That's really what we wanted. And we set up the town team as a group which would capitalise on opportunities out there to improve the quality of life for everybody in the community. So that's what we want. We just want a better quality of life for everybody living here. My name is James Hayes and I am secretary with the Earlingford Town Team since its inception. I also run a small business in the locality, coffee shop, which came out as a, as a major request as part of the Turley Health Check in 2021. So that's been an interesting process and there's been great buy-in from the community. What's business like in Erlingford? Custom-wise, it's fantastic. We, we've developed a great customer base and we've, we've really got to know people in the community that I suppose I wouldn't have interacted with before and, and that's been fantastic. At times, it, it's challenging from the organisational things such as broadband and you know, maybe the, the quality of footpaths, etc., outside your premises. But, you know, I suppose we're working on those things in conjunction with the council and we're hoping to see improvement in those in the next few years. What's your hope for the area? Looking back over the last year, uh, reflecting on this time last year when we, we did a cross-border challenge golf classic, um, a lot has been achieved. We've um, progressed, you know, a number of projects hugely. At the moment, the community centre is out for tender. So that's a major one that we'd like to see closed up. So my aspiration that if you come and talk to us next year, that facility will be uh, you know, renovated and open for use by community. Another aspiration would be that the remote work hub will be open probably eight months at that stage, eight or nine months. The final thing is as well that um, you know the town centre first plan, we might be looking at funding streams for the implementation of some of those uh, objectives as, as outlined in that. You're one of the younger residents of of Arlingford. as you say. You've ha- you've got a business here. You're very involved in in the town team. It's people like you that the town wants to hold on to to retain a lot of the youth and build and grow the area. Everything needs a critical mass to sustain. My hope in being involved in the Earlingford Town team that I as an engineer and small business owner can find opportunities within the locality to allow me to, I suppose, have a fruitful career in a rural community, which is very important to me given that I grew up here. So I, I think projects like the Remote Work Hub provide a great opportunity for young people like me to possibly ro- remote work you know, in a, in a professional capacity which you know then has the the tag-along effect of keeping enough people here to support GA clubs and various other community organisations. We're standing in the former Bank of Ireland building when we last spoke here it was quite a, a, a 
a conversation, more of an aspirational conversation. Things have moved on a little bit since then. Yes, yeah, so, um, you know, in the last year, we, we further developed our relationship with Kilkenny County Council on this project. Further to that as well, the local enterprise office and Kilkenny um, Carol Leader Partnership have also got very involved. Um, we've been successful in getting additional funding, which means that rather than a phased opening of the hub, we'll now be able to complete nearly 80% of it by the end of uh, 2023, which is very exciting. You know, works are underway here. We have began strip out and restoration of the building and modernisation for its new use. My name is Fiona Joyce. I was the previous chairperson before uh, it went into the capital hands of uh, Dimna. Say as part of the town team, we've other smaller projects sort of on the boil. So I'm kind of more involved with the Islands Loop Walk also developing an Arlingford community website and we've already developed a, a nice Arlingford logo and everything to go with that. So for the website we had huge community buy-in and we ha- we ran a, a poll with a number of logos and everybody voted and we have our logo, we haven't launched it yet so there'll be kind of a big reveal on that. We're hoping maybe September-ish, maybe. Obviously, we want the website up to standard before we actually launch. Mm. And then the walks, we've, we're actively um, engaging with Trails Kilkenny and Kilkenny to Council. First of all, our first step is to have the Islands Loop Walk re-registered because it's not a registered walk anymore. But our long-term plan for that walk is to connect it in with what is going to be the Littleton Labyrinth, an initiative being run by Barrary County Council. And that is going to be a, a cycleway across the bogways. And our Islands Loop is only a very short distance away from that. So if we have our Islands Walk um, registered and whenever that comes up and gets developed we're in a position then to connect into it. Those walks are being promoted by uh, Falch Ireland and Bordnamona. Bordnamona received uh, funding not too long ago from uh, Falch Ireland so it's not uh, in the distance it's it's in the near future when those walks will get developed. We just need to be in a position to connect into them when they are developed. So that's our plan for, for the walks there. And the master plan, part of our, the master plan that has been um, put on display actually in the Erlingford Library includes a car park in the centre of the town. So we would hope eventually when that car park gets developed that that would become a walk head for that walk and would possibly become a gateway into that whole labyrinth of cycleways and pathways which would attract so many people into Arlingford and you know create another reason for people to come into Arlingford the whole raison d'etre of the town centre first initiative is to get people into the centre of towns and that is one way that we can get people into the centre of towns along with the other projects that we're talking about what we're trying to do all of the time is get people into the town Mm. that in itself then generates and regenerates more business and more vibrancy in the town itself. What do you like about living in Erlingford? Yeah, I love the sense of community and, you know, everyone just digging in and getting things done. Like, I mean, even the town team here, people just get stuck in. And and when you do things together, you create that sense of community too. I've seen new people coming to the town and they get, you know, they connect in with through the Facebook and things like that. And, and they want to get involved. So the more people that are here, and the more people that know about what's going on, mm-hmm. uh, the, the better is the sense of community that can be created.
the uh, master plan goes on display it's really important that people at least come and view it mm-hmm. and get their speaking submit if they've got something to say absolutely and the county council have put it out on their social media and i know we locally have shared that out as well so you can see it online but it will be there tuesday from five o'clock to eight o'clock in arlingford library and the county council will be out along with it to answer any questions so you can have a look at it flick through it there's nice little visuals maps plans you know justification there's lots of different things there to have a look at anyone who has any interest in the future of arlingford i would say go in and have a look and have a chat with the county council I've been Grace there talking about the future of Erlingford. It's 10 minutes coming up on to uh, 12 o'clock. Uh, we've been running our Heritage Week competition all morning. Uh, one clue from Carlo and one from Kilkenny. This was the clue from Kilkenny. Founded in the 12th century, I'm one of the best examples of a medieval Cistercian abbey in Ireland. What am I? Very well put together by Etna Quirk. Well, what are you, Etna? Well, this this afternoon, she was Jer Point Abbey. The winner for the hour is Eileen Sinnott from Glenmore and Kilkenny, who correctly identified Jer Point Abbey um, as our featured heritage site. Tune in tomorrow for two more local heritage sites and your chance to win two €100 Euro vouchers. Coming up after a short break, we'll be talking to Claire Summers, uh, part of the Board of Management, and Fergus Keane, manager, both from Mount Carmel in Callan. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style see fairgreen.ie Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Mount Carmel Supported Care Home in Callan provides long-term and respite care for residents who are mainly capable of living independently. And we're joined in studio by Fergus Keane, the manager of uh, Mount Carmel, and Claire Summers, who's on the board. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to come in. You're very welcome. And actually, we might start by wishing one of your residents, Nancy Power, a belated happy 90th birthday. I believe she celebrated uh, the roundy birthday recently, so we'll say a very happy birthday to her. I suppose for anyone listening, Fergus, it would be very interesting to know how such a facility actually works for the residents or what sort of independence they Mm. have. So you might give Mm. us a little overview. And I suppose historically it it was set up uh, in 1985. Uh, I suppose there is a kind of misconception that we're a nursing home and we're not. As as the name would suggest, we're a supported care home. Uh, And I suppose that would look at supporting people to live the best life that they can. Uh, with the minimal supports that they may require. So as you alluded to, yeah, and nearly all our residents would be of low dependency, like low need. They can, uh, with a little bit of support, they can live an independent life. And the whole idea of Mount Carmel is that they do live an independent life and they stay connected to the community uh, and they stay connected to their families. Uh, and that may mean going down to collect a pension every Friday or going down to do a bit of shopping or going for a cup of coffee with family and things like that. So it's maintaining that, but for them taking away maybe the, the other elements of their life, like managing the medication or, uh, you know, ensuring that they don't have to cook anymore, that the meals are provided. So everybody would have their own room. We, we've 20 residents. Uh, as I said, meals are provided uh, so that there's a dining room. So if you want to have a shared experience, you know, and, and, and having meals at with other uh, your your other residents you can or if you want to have your dinner on your own that can be facilitated as well you know okay uh, 
so there is that, that support there where needed, but they can retreat into their own. They each have their own room, I'm assuming. Yeah, they, they all have their own room. We would have a communal kind of uh, TV area. So like last week when the, the, the football matches were on, uh, there was an awful lot of support for the Irish women's team. Uh, and and likewise, when there was uh, hurling matches on and things like that, there can be uh, everybody would come together to watch those and, and, and cheer on their respective team yeah. Yeah. how about so if I want to have a visitor to come in to me how does that work out you, you, you just rack up <laughs> and knock on the door and say I'm here to well, see Claire and you, you when's know. Nancy Power's 90th birthday party then because we might have to just you pop along it, 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 it's actually still ongoing as far as what can I can say you know but uh, yeah no no there's no needless to say when we were in the, the COVID when we had all those restrictions they've all been lifted now thank God so th- it's very open so when people come in uh, hopefully they'll get a cup of tea off ourselves or a cup of coffee uh, unfortunately we don't have anything stronger so uh, there's always somebody on site who's doing the meals and yeah. sort of overseeing yeah. we, what we, happens we'd have 24-7 uh, staff on, 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 on call or not so much on call they're there so uh, you know we'd have two or three staff we've a kitchen staff on from eight o'clock to five o'clock, half five, and there's always care staff around. So yeah, th- that level of support, and I think it's reassurance for people as well that they feel safe. Mm. Anything should happen that there's somebody there that can intervene and support them. Yeah, you know? yeah, it sounds fabulous. So uh, Claire, talk to me about the funding model that Mount Carmel runs on. The funding model. Yeah. Unfortunately, we we rely heavily on funding and presently, um, I suppose Mount Carmel is no different from a lot of the other supportive care homes and nursing homes across the country where we are um, in need of funding on a continuous basis. It's costly to run. Um, However, we do uh, get funding uh, locally um, from a lot of the businesses. They're great to support us. Um, but however, while I'm here, I may may as well use the opportunity that we are always looking for people to sponsor events or donate money to us. And we do have an online presence um, and you can donate online via our website, Mount Carmel Cal- mm. um, and, and we, we are sub- we are f- uh, funded through the HSE yeah. where we'd be Section 39 grant aided. But uh, that only goes part so of the far, way. yeah. And, then and that, that sort of leads me to—I yeah. mean, you've got you've got plenty of events planned throughout yeah, the year yeah. to help mm. with fundraising. Mm. One of them is uh, you've got a golf classic coming up. We have our annual golf classic coming up on Friday the twenty-fifth and Saturday the twenty-sixth of August at Callan Golf Club in Callan. Um, the competition is a four-person team event, and it also has the usual competitions therein: nearest pin and longest drive. And we also have a prize on the day. Um, for non-GUI members, so the fee is a hundred euros per team, which is phenomenal. That's value. Now, yeah, yeah. Normally for stuff like this, you'd yeah. be looking at three, four hundred euros yeah, potentially yeah. per team. It sounds like a great but event. Please do give four hundred euros <laughs> if you feel it necessary. But if you do want to donate the price of that team, you know the team event, but you don't want to wish to play, please uh, get in touch with us. Pop in or donate online mm, it does sound like a fabulous um, not yeah. just a fabulous event mm. but uh, it just it sounds like a fabulous way uh, to live out those later years of your life I mean mm. it sounds like a bit of crack to be honest with you yeah, Ultim- yeah ultimately it, 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 it's fun as, as someone once said uh, uh, and, and it was only recorded or quoted in, in uh, our HICWA inspection that we had last week 
they've been waiting years to get into Mount Carmel. <laughs> so, but we try to have a, a sense of fun, a sense of, y y you know, this is only one, uh, this is the next stage in your life, yeah. you know. It doesn't mean that your life has ended. Uh, and it's keeping people, like we would go to Ballykeef uh, Amphitheatre, they're very good to us and they'd give us tickets and we'd, we'd, head, we'd head off. Or there was two local taxi drivers uh, last year and this year who supported us to go down to Dungannon Beach. Uh, and they they uh, they took some of our residents. We have a mini bus. We took that, and then we had somebody with a camper van that was uh, brewing up tea and coffee, and it was very simple stuff. We were sitting on the beach having a cup of tea uh, and having a crack. It sounds you know? lovely, and yeah. I think for the right candidates who are able to live quite independently, mm. it's a much nicer model than either being totally alone, which must is not going to suit everybody, or being in a, more of a, a nursing home setting. I yeah. guess so. And, and it's that graduated. It, it, it's rather than going from zero to a hundred. Yes. The stages, the steps, mm -hmm. where where if you need a little bit of support, you can get that, and and maintaining your 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 life outside in the community. Okay, well, Fergus Keane of Mancarmel um, and Clear Summers, we really appreciate you coming in to talk to us this morning about the big golf classic and the work that you do. Yeah, it sounds like it, the type of place to be, um, if you, and maybe more places like that should exist across the country. You are more than welcome to come out and look at a room and see if you can book it. <laughs> we might do mates rates. We'll have might might do mates rates. We'll have to book in early as uh, as. Una said Claire Summers and uh, Fergus Keane thanks for joining us this morning uh, we're just about done for the evening we'll be back tomorrow morning Una. we will do we can't wait uh, looking forward to it do, do tuned because John Keane will be keeping you company right throughout the afternoon here on KCLR and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning from 10 KCLR Live thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops food outlets and a state of the art IMC cinema see fairgreen.ie